You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Dustin Warford titled Palm Sunday. We all welcome the King, which is from our sermon series, Passion, The Difference a Week Makes. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Creekside's very first online-only service. This is uh, not going to lie. It's, I, I told my wife uh, a couple months ago, I said I had a, a dream one night that my next time to preach, I'd get up and speak, and there'd be no one here. Well, it happened. My worst nightmare. So welcome, everyone, online. And um, so just so you know, as I'm looking at you guys, I may look to my right a little bit. We do have a handful of renegades that showed up that didn't listen. And they're here six feet apart, some of them. But um, but I'm, I'm glad for the online crowd, for you guys that have joined us here this morning as we get to uh, jump into the word together. Now, it's, it's crazy to think. We, we're launching a new series today called Passion, and a lot can happen in a week. How fitting, isn't it? That we talk about passion, a lot can happen in a week. And just one week ago, we were all here together. We, the, the virus was, was making headlines, and we didn't know what was going to happen. But we were all here together. We were living life as normal. And in just seven short days, things have totally changed. Schools are closed. Uh, earlier this week, groups of 50 were told not to meet. And now groups of 100 are told absolutely not. It's not a suggestion. They were told don't get together. So in just seven days, things have changed. Fear has risen. Uh, people have been on d- uh, different extremes of how to handle the virus. But ultimately, we know that people are being told to stay home, stay safe. And so we welcome you through our online stream today. And what we're going to start doing starting this week is this series, we're going to lead into Easter and we're going to look at the last week of Jesus's life leading into Easter Sunday. And a lot can happen. A lot does happen in just that one week. And we're going to start today. Now, don't be thrown off. It's really, it could be a little weird. Today, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday. And I know we're a number of weeks early, but when we look at the last week of Jesus's life, this was the starting day of the last week. Palm Sunday, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And so I know it's not Palm Sunday, but if you open up to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start there. We're going to read about his entry into Jerusalem and what that means for us today. And we talk about how Jesus establishes himself as the king for all of us. So starting in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse one, it says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her, a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from 
from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, think of a time when you were on the brink of victory. Your favorite sports team at the championship game. Many of us don't think too much about what happened after that, but you think your team was there. Everyone's cheering. There's the fanfare. You made it to the Super Bowl. Or if you're a baseball fan, your team is approaching. They're in the World Series. If you're a basketball fan, the finals, whatever it is, your team has made it. Maybe it's your kid's sports team. You made it to the championship game. The team gets introduced. The crowd is going absolutely nuts. Your team runs out. You want them to win. Victory is at hand, and you can taste it. It's easy to say that people like to win. I I can't honestly say I've ever talked to someone who said, yeah, I put my heart and soul into it, and I cheer for these people, and I just want them to lose. It's not typically what people say. You go with your whole heart and you want them to win. People love a good championship story. People love the good underdog story, the team that no one expected to come to rise up and overcome the odds and take it all. And the Jewish people at this point, they needed a victory. They needed their championship story. They had been living under oppression from the Romans for many, many years. And it was not an ideal way of life. You see, it had been prophesied for thousands of years that a Messiah was going to come one day. And at this point, more than ever, the Jewish people were ready. It's like being a fan of that team that hasn't won in a long, long, long Raider Nation time. Or being a fan of that team that has gone two times in the past decade, the Niner Nation, and they just haven't gotten it done. It's sad to think about, but you so desperately want that victory. The Jewish people were there. They wanted that victory. They desired that victory. And now they were getting to celebrate that victory coming. You see, even in the Old Testament, in the times of Moses, there were stories about victory coming to people, about God bringing a victory. Deuteronomy chapter 20 says this, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. See, throughout biblical history, we get to see that people have their ups and people have their downs. But all the time, God gives them victory. He delivers them through their trials. He's always there with them through the ups and through the downs. Delivery from oppression. Delivery from being conquered. At times, nations were conquered, but we always see the redemption that God brings with his people as he sends them and delivers them from whatever it was that brought them down. So now... There's 400 years of silence leading up to the coming of Jesus, and God sends him. Now, Jesus had been on earth for 33 years at this point, and the last three years of his life, he's doing his ministry. He's coming in, and he is doing these miracles and performing to people and showing that the love of God is here, that he has come. He is living his mission. He's showing people the love of his Father, and it has all culminated to this point, the point now where everyone is here. They're celebrating him coming in, and he has established who he is. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more today. But I like to think of that fanfare. I like to think of the the cheering as Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I like to think, uh, I remember even me watching Super Bowl Sunday with my family when they announced the San Francisco 49ers. We were on our feet going crazy. We weren't even at the game. We were just at home watching, but we were still going nuts. So I like to imagine what's happening right there in this scene as people are cheering and celebrating Jesus coming in. There's a reason for the fanfare. They knew he was there. 
But as we break this down today, we're, we're going to see that when Jesus came, this was more than just something famous coming. This was more than, than just a celebrity walking into town. There was something incredibly significant happening with just him coming in on a donkey. And I say that lightly because it wasn't just him coming in on a donkey, as we'll see when we, as we unpack this. There is a lot happening in this one passage. We'll see that scripture that had been written thousands of years before, echoed hundreds of years later, has finally come to fruition in a perfect way. We're going to see that Palm Sunday shows us Jesus established that he was a rightful king, he was a victorious king, and he was the gentle king. He came at a very uncertain time for these people, uncertain of their future, knowing they were waiting, but he came with a very certain hope for everybody. So as Jesus and his disciples are getting ready to do this, they're on the Jericho Road, and they climbed on all this pathway. It's about 17 miles that goes up and twists and turns from Jericho to Jerusalem. And at this point, the disciples pretty, had a pretty good idea when Jesus says to do something, do it. They've had three years of the questioning and the what do you mean, and Jesus is just blowing their minds with the stuff that he does. So at this point, they're, they're doing a lot of what he says. And can you imagine when he tells them what he says to do with the, to go find the donkey? He says, go in to the village ahead of you. At once you'll find the donkey tied there and with her, with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. So they went and they did what they were instructed to do. They went to the village and they found it just like Jesus had said, the donkey tied there. Now, However trivial this errand may have seemed, could have been kind of just, oh, go and you'll find this. This was a very specific purpose for Jesus saying, go do this in this way. See, Matthew explains in the next verses there, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, the colt of the donkey. See, of all the things Jesus did, between his birth and resurrection, it was riding, by getting on a donkey and riding into Jerusalem, this was the way he was going to announce that he was the rightful king for the people at the time. And I love this because people in scripture, as we're going to see here, they knew the symbolism of him riding in as a donkey. And it spoke magnitudes to who he was and what he was doing. You see, in this time, people knew the Messiah was going to come. They were praying for the Messiah. And the Jewish people, they knew the scriptures. So they knew that a prophet Zechariah wrote about this. And they would know that in Zechariah 9.9, it said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, <clears throat> righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus mounted not just any donkey, but the full-bred colt as Zechariah had promised. And so as he's doing that, he's writing in, establishing himself. Look at what the scriptures said. This is me. Here I am declaring my rightful place to you guys. You see, Jesus never did anything by coincidence or by luck. It was a specific purpose, and he knew that this would fulfill scripture. This was a fulfillment of scripture that would resonate with the hearts of the people at the time. They would have remembered the words Zechariah said and recognized what he was doing. There's another passage as well that says that when King David, when he passed on his kingship to his son Solomon, it was announced through the nation. And King David is revered and known as the greatest king of all time. And when his son Solomon was announced as king, he rode in on the mule of his father. And so when people recognize this, I love it. That's in 1 Kings 1. But people recognize this. It's a clue. So they see Jesus riding on a donkey being fulfilled by Zechariah. And then they see him riding 
riding in and they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. By using that title, the people are acknowledging and recognizing this is their rightful king. This is who they've been waiting for. They recognized that the time had finally come. And there's even an older prophecy. As I was unpacking this, it's amazing to see how much scripture, when it starts in Genesis, gets pulled through the Old Testament and gets fulfilled into the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 49, long before Zechariah, Jacob pronounced a blessing on his son Judah. And this is what he said. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor from the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is he is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. Jacob's prophecy meant that Israel's true king would come from the tribe of Judah. It would be associated with him riding in on a donkey. It, it blows me away when I get to read this. Something that is almost kind of an afterthought as you read through in Genesis is echoed by one of the prophets and then fulfilled thousands of years later in the New Testament. It was all done on purpose. And it was done in such a way that the people would know this is the righteous king. No question about it. He's the one that the, the scriptures spoke of. And since he is the king, they responded in the way they should have responded. They called him the son of David. They spread their cloaks before him. This was an ancient custom. People would do when kings rode into town, they would make their own red carpet out of their clothes for him to walk through and have his triumphal entry into their city. It was a royal procession. Now, what do we have in our lives that we get to lay down at the feet of Jesus? I know sometimes we think, well, if Jesus is coming, I'm not going to run out to my front door and literally throw my jacket on the ground before I walk in and say, Jesus, come in my house. That may seem kind of, kind of weird by today's standards. So, so what do we have to throw at the feet of Jesus? This was literally what they had to welcome him into their lives. And this, this is a, can be kind of a deep question that maybe you don't have an answer for yet. What can you throw at the feet of Jesus to recognize that he is the rightful king coming into your life? I know that a way that, that we get to as Christ followers and, and people that love Christ, something we get to do is we get to recognize how sovereign he is by laying our hearts at his feet. We get to throw down our wills. We get to surrender to him saying, you are right. This is you. I love you. And I'm giving my life, my desires, my will to you. <clears throat> when we know the King of Kings, when we know the son of God comes, what are we going to lay down at his feet? What are we going to do to celebrate and welcome him in? Remember they were jumping up and down, but they were also laying things down. It was an incredible celebration. It's worth the biggest celebration ever. Do we get to lay down our fear, our, our fear of the uncertain? I know right now, many of us are living in a, a slight fear, uncertain time with, with the virus going around. You can be on one extreme where you say it's not a big deal, or maybe you can be on the other extreme saying this is totally paralyzing my ability to go out and be social, to talk to anyone, or maybe you're somewhere right in the middle, but, but needless to say, this is affecting everyone in some way, shape or form. It's uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen the next time you go into a crowd of people. It has that little bit of anxiety maybe inside of you. But that's something that we can also lay down at the feet of the king. Because he is the righteous one for us. And he came to take that fear and offer us a hope like no other. He is the ultimate victory over that fear and uncertainty. We see that Jesus established that he was the rightful king. But he also established that he is the victorious king. 
I love it that people were celebrating because they knew he was here to save them. Now, it was going to look a little different. You know, the spoiler alert, it wasn't a political delivery that he was coming to deliver. And that's what the people were expecting. They thought he was going to come in and he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire, free them from their captivity from the Romans. But ultimately, he was going to free them from a much different kind of captivity that they were not even aware of. He was there to save them in a vastly different way. But you don't get to celebrate like this if you don't have a victory that's going to come. You see, this type of celebrating that was going on that they were doing was only done when an army was either leaving for war or on the triumphant return of that army. You see, when an army would go out, they would have the fanfare. The king marches out with his troop. People are celebrating and cheering, go fight and win and come back. And when they came back with their winnings, the same fanfare would come. If they came back in defeat, it was not a fanfare happy time because they knew they were probably going to get overthrown soon. But when they came back with victory, there was celebration fanfare, coats being thrown out, a grand procession and welcoming. And that's what was happening now. In fact, what they did when he rode into Jerusalem, it says that they took palm branches. And I love that they, they did that because that was the sign of ultimate victory in their culture. John 12, 13 echoes what we read in Matthew. It says, they took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. They cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel. They welcomed him as their victorious savior. Now, palm branches were an ancient symbol of victory, so much so that when Jerusalem and the, the Maccabee nation, the Maccabean revolt, when that happened, the Jews had victory over the revolt and they actually imprinted palm branches on their coins. So even in just everyday transaction, they could remember, we won. We won this fight. We were victorious. And so by them taking palm branches and waving them at Jesus, they were showing this is our ultimate sign of victory. We've done it. They welcomed him in in the biggest way they possibly could. The word Hosanna we see here, I love because it, it's shouted in a victorious way, but it's not just a word of praise. It's also a prayer. Psalms 118 says, Oh Lord, save us. 118.25. Now, what I love is when you break that down to its easiest translation, its, its roughest translation, it's the word Hosanna. And so when people are saying Hosanna, it's, it's a spontaneous cry of greeting and of homage. It's celebration and de the declaration that they need a savior. Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying, we cry out in joy that you're here. We know that you're here to save us. So it's a word that has two meanings, all great in the context of Jesus writing in the way he did. Now, again, it's going to play out totally different. The victory will be different than what they expect. But he came ultimately for that Hosanna to be that cry of prayer, to come to save them from their sin. Save us, just like it was written in Psalm. He gave his life. You see, what, what we may expect as a physical deliverance, what they expected as a physical deliverance, Jesus offered as a much deeper spiritual deliverance an eternal deliverance. And, and to ask for this salvation is to come and say that we confess, God, we, we are guilty. We are sinners who deserve to be condemned for our sins. Hosanna, it's partly a cry of victory, but it's also that cry of desperation saying, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, come to me and save me. It recognizes that he has the power to save like no other. <clears throat> the, the save like no other, just the one that we need to come into our lives more than anything else. Save me, Jesus, or as the people said on Palm Sunday, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Jesus established he's the son of David. He is the rightful king. And he came to give us that ultimate victory with his life. Not a defeat into death that we have to suffer, but a victory for our soul, a victory for our life that we get to be with him forever. And ultimately submitting to his sovereign, his sovereign rule, laying our life down at his feet, laying our hearts down, laying our fears down, our worries and our burdens at his feet as he enters into our life is the first step in saying, God, you are Lord of me. Give me that victory over death. Give me that victory that says I get to be with you. And we're going to unpack more of that as we go through this week in this uh, Passion Week leading to Easter Sunday. The difference a week makes. Jesus also, when he came into Jerusalem, showed that he is a gentle king. Now, gentleness is not something you normally think of when you, when you assert it with a position of power. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We can look through history, and when we think of powerful political, or even warriors, we don't think of gentle people. You don't watch the movie Braveheart and think, William Wallace, what a nice, soft-spoken, gentle man. You, you, don't, you don't see stories of Alexander the Great and say, oh man, he was so sweet. What a just good guy, leading all those people to their death and conquering. Napoleon, not seen as a gentle man. Genghis Khan, gentlest of all conquerors, right? We, that's not something we associate with. Power is not put in conjunction with gentleness. History doesn't say gentle people were powerful. These are not the people that loved each other. They led armies into greatness. They led their nations into greatness through power and authority. Now, maybe some of you who uh, played sports had that coach who was not the gentle coach. I know when I played football, uh, we, had, we had a coach and he would just yell and swear and push and pry and you were playing your heart out and he'd tell you you weren't doing good enough and he'd push and you'd, play, you'd put everything out. You would not go home and say, I love that coach, such a gentle guy. He would encourage me so so much to play my best. No, I would go home and you would have unchristian thoughts of people sometimes, how much they were pushing you. But those were people that you associate with power. Can you imagine watching a movie? Like one of my favorite football movies of all time, Remember the Titans. Can you imagine watching that movie and having Coach Boone, Denzel Washington, come and just coddle the players? Just, just kind of push him along. Oh, you can run a little faster. You can, you can try to get along, guys. No, he was the epitome of just using his attitude to, and his, his power and authority to bring this team together. He wasn't a gentleman, and that's how we look at lots of historical figures, not gentle people. <clears throat> you wouldn't think of these people as people that would have great influence. Now, in ancient times, it was also the same with the kings of the time. When a king rode into victory, he did not do so with a gentle demeanor. Often when a king war, won a battle, he would ride. There would be the pomp and circumstance, like we said. There would be people with the, the coats on the ground, the cheering and the celebrating. But behind the king would be the prisoners. Behind the king, if they were able to, if the other king survived the battle, he would be being drugged in chains behind. The king would be in his chariot, riding on a massive horse. It would be the ultimate sign of power. Look at the devastation I brought with me. Look at what we did to these people. That was power. That was victory. But when Jesus comes, he comes with power. He comes with authority and he comes with humility and meekness. The opposite of the times, but he accompanied everything in a perfect way with gentleness. And the people loved him. As we said in Zechariah 9.9, it's one of the attributes that he says how Jesus will come. You see your king comes to you 
gentle. And this is symbolized by his mode of transport. At the very least, like we said, you would expect Jesus to come in on this horse, on this massive sign of victory, but he comes in on an animal that's designed and literally used to carry a burden, to carry a load, to carry the weight. And that's what Jesus puts himself on. The lowest of lows, the most humble entry he could have is what he chooses to ride in to Jerusalem with. There's no wall being broken down. There's no time for a chariot of fire on the sides. It's just Jesus on the donkey. No captives in chains. No princes in captivity. No spoils of war. A meek, humble, lowly man riding on the foal of a donkey. Another indication of the relationship Jesus had with his subjects that shows how he was the gentle leader was how he treated everyone like it was his family. Zechariah's prophecy begins with, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. The word daughter is a reminder that God treats his people as his children, as his family. The Old Testament often uses this kind of language. Exodus chapter 4 says, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And Isaiah 62 says, Say to the daughter of Zion, your Savior comes. He looks at us as his children, and we see it said thousands of years earlier, and then we see it through the life Jesus lives. His God's love for people is like the love that a good father has for his children. Now, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I get home late. And specifically on a C Games, it broke my heart this last Friday. We had to postpone C Games due to the coronavirus. But I love C Games. The one thing that I don't like about C Games a lot of the time is I will get up early, come to work. My kids are most often still in bed. Come, we have an amazing time here at the church. The hundreds of kids coming, the staff is here, we get the campus all decked out. It is an amazing time. And then kids go home, you know, we get to give them all the sugar in the world, play games, send them home. They don't come home with me, it's great. We have an awesome time. And then the, t- the cleanup team comes, we get the room all ready for Sunday. By the time I get home, I typically will walk in and my daughters are passed out. They're home in bed. And the thing that, that the, the bummer for me is, man, I didn't get to really say good morning and hang out with them. And then I come home and they're sleeping. So it's like, man, it's just, it's one of those, it's one of those moments I don't like. And it happens every now and then, not often, but it's a day that I remember because I don't like it. So I know that on those days I'll go into their room, super quiet against my wife's wishes, but I'll go in there and I'll, I'll sneak in and I'll see their bodies outlined under the sheets or their beds. Well, I'll see Aurora's that way. Avery, my three-year-old, I see ripped pages from books, uh, animal uh, stuffed animals everywhere, blankets on the ground. It looks like a devastation scene. And then she's sprawled out, arms out sleeping, snoring most of the time. But I'll walk in and I'll see them there. And I'll get to just sneak in, give them a kiss on the cheek and just whisper in their ears, hi girls, daddy's home. Daddy loves you. Most of the time, they just keep on snoring. They don't budge, they don't move. But I know it's a sweet moment that I get to cherish in my heart with my girls. Sometimes they start to budge, and then I get to practice my daddy ninja skills, getting out of that room as fast as I can without stepping on any Legos on the ground, because that's the ultimate, I'll scream and they wake up, and then it's just a nightmare for everybody. But I get to get out of there. But I, I love that moment that I get to have with my girls, just letting them know how much I love them and how precious they are to me. And I love that when I think of me doing that to my girls, that's nothing compared to the love that God has for us as his children. It doesn't compare to the tender love that God shows us on a daily basis. Out of the warmth of his heart, he loves us so much that he sent his son to do this triumphal entry, knowing ultimately he was going to see his son die 
for us. Now, don't mistake this gentleness that we talk of as a sign of weakness. Jesus was not weak. God is not weak. If we've been reading Zechariah 9.9. If you read right before that, Zechariah verses, chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, it talks about how God is going to destroy the enemies of Israel. Then 9.9 talks about his gentle entry on a donkey. And then right after that, 9.10 says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I love that he comes in saying he is going to bring peace. And he comes in on a humble entry. But right before that, it says, enemies, beware. He is gentle and he is loving, but you don't stand a chance. You will lose this fight. Jesus proclaims peace. The Hebrews call it shalom, which is not simply the absence of warfare, but it's also the presence of welfare. Shalom is God's fullest blessing of harmony and prosperity. And in order to bring such peace to the nations, Jesus knows he's coming in. God knows he is going to disarm the enemies. He is going to break the bow of battle. So here now we have this extraordinary combination of omnipotence and power and authority and meekness, humbleness, and gentleness, all in the same person in Jesus Christ. Some kings are known for coddling their enemies, and they couldn't do what it, take, what it would take to overthrow an enemy when it came. Others would rule with an iron rod, fierce, don't ever cross me, you'll regret it. But Jesus, the humblest of kings, can do it all. A mighty and awesome king, strong and fierce to crush his enemies, but gentle enough to love and cherish every single child of his. Malachi 3.2 asks the question, who may abide in the day of his coming? And I love that because it's saying Jesus is coming. Who can, who can stand against that? All we can do is understand what he has for us and submit to his perfect love, his perfect authority, his perfect victory that he brings to us. Jesus showed his gentleness by performing supernatural powers. He showed his gentleness and his power in the same hand with this. And I, and I love this when I think about it, because when we think of miracles, it takes God to perform a miracle. It takes that supernatural power that only he can bring. And that's what Jesus did. But when you look at the way Jesus did it, he didn't go through and he didn't, he didn't beat people into receiving healing. He would go through and, and he would gently touch people. He would speak to them. People came, one man came blind and Jesus gently touched his eyes and he used spit and mud, but he touched his eyes in a gentle way and he brought healing. He gently touched cripples and cripples were healed. Jesus's touch was so gentle that when a man's ear was chopped off, when Jesus was arrested, Jesus picked it up and gently put it in place. He touched the man and healed him. People knew that Jesus was gentle. In Luke 18, it says they brought their children. People brought their babies to be touched by Jesus. You didn't bring that to a vicious person. You brought that to a gentle person. It doesn't mean he was weak. It meant he was perfect. With the same grace, Jesus helps everyone who comes to him in faith. You see, kingship, he had a kingship that did not treat people as rough or abused. He had the kingship that would treat people in a perfect way. It was a gentle strength that would bring healing. It would bring wholeness. When we are disobedient, Jesus brings a discipline that restores you to the right path, not to punish you, but to bring healing. When we're disheartened, he'll encourage you not to give up. When we're downcast, he'll wipe away your tears. When we are wrong, he will correct us in a gentle but firm, gentle, powerful way. Our rightful victorious king has the power to deliver us and the gentleness to love us all at the same time. 
Isaiah says this in chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, then shall the lame man leap as a deer and the tongue of the dumb and the mute shall sing. These are the very miracles Jesus performed when he was the Messiah. They showed that he was the Messiah, which spread like wildfire throughout Jerusalem. And with all these miracles happening for the past three years, this was the perfect celebration and entrance into Jesus's last week into Jerusalem, where he was going to fulfill and finalize his mission for us and free us from our sins. The God who was silent for 400 years is finally bringing Jesus to the people. He wasn't a man that was coming to overthrow the government as they thought, but he was coming to bring the absolute perfect healing. They cheered. They welcomed. They knew they had the right king. They knew they had the victorious king, and they knew they had the gentle king with them to deliver them from something that they didn't even know that they needed. Now, since we are saved by such a righteous, victorious, and gentle king, what, what's our response supposed to be to all of this? What, what do we take away from this Palm Sunday when we look at all these things Jesus brought in to, to Jerusalem? How does that resonate with us today? I know that something that, that I pulled from this is I know that I've, I've got to work on my, my gentleness. I know that that's one of the, the signs of the fruits of the Spirit. The sign of a Christ follower is that we get to love each other with a gentleness that Jesus showed. Our lives get to be the demonstration of the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And this was the most perfect thing. Jesus, this is the most perfect entrance Jesus could have asked for. It was prophesied for, and it happened. The perfect welcome for him. He is the son of David. He is the true and righteous and rightful king. To him, we give our hosannas, for he is the gentle, righteous savior. Now, I know that I, when I was reading this, I couldn't help but be blown away. I shared with Terry, Pastor Terry, a few times this week. It was just, it's just, I loved how I saw references in the Old Testament. Far back as Genesis, leading up to this moment. People had waited thousands of years. It had been talked about for thousands of years. Jesus was coming this way. And we get to celebrate that today. Jesus' entry. It was played out exactly as it was written. So today, when I think of him, the man who came beyond a shadow of a doubt, the son of man, the son of God, he is the right one. He is the victorious, the victorious one. And he is the gentle, omnipotent, powerful king for my life. Now, we also remember today, don't let it pass by. Don't let a moment go by where we don't get the chance to welcome Jesus into our life. I think in our lives, everyone gets to that point where you realize, I have to make this conscious effort. I have to welcome him in. At this point in, in Jesus's life, the people were doing that. They were giving him that welcome in, that wonderful welcome entrance into the city. Our Savior's here. We need to remember in our lives, we have to take that step. We need this season to welcome Jesus in. We need to remember not to live in fear. That doesn't say don't be cautious of things, but don't live in fear. Know that Jesus gives us that deliverance from fear. We have the greatest Lord, the greatest partner imaginable on our side with us. And that is the most reassuring thing you could ever ask for in a time like this that we're going through. Jesus is here with you in control and has his hand on absolutely everything. Welcome him because he is the son of God who came to deliver you. Welcome in the hope that only he can give you. The hope that he is the ultimate victory. The, the COVID-19 virus, again, and we talk about it a lot because it's so, so prominent and it's changing everything we're doing right now. 
know that amidst this virus, God is in control. He is in charge. He already has victory. If you read the end of the book, what we've been going through in Revelation, we see the victory. We've already won. God has this under control in his perfect plan, in his perfect timing. On Palm Sunday, riding that donkey, Jesus knew he was walking into a group of people who were uncertain about their future, but he was certain in what he was going to do. He was certain in his mission. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of uneasiness, people cheered. Jesus came to fulfill his mission. He knew he was going to be victorious. People didn't understand what he was going to do, but he knew. And we know now, we have the advantage of being able to look back and knowing what he did, knowing that he wins, knowing that our life is in his hands, and that's worth celebrating more than anything. In the face of fear, in the face of uncertainty, we get to go before God. We get to the way they laid down their cloaks. We get to lay down our hearts. We get to cast out burden. We get to cast out anxiety and say, Jesus, I am welcoming you into my life. I am celebrating starting right now, this week, this uh, Palm Sunday. We get to celebrate your victory and ultimately learn more about what you did and what you, in scripture, what you're going to do for us. I want to take this time. Now, I know that uh, every now and then, sometimes we, we ask people if you haven't had a chance to receive Jesus. And sometimes, and, and, and I've been there, and I've, I've seen people and talked to people and say, you know, I didn't want to raise my hand because there are too many people in the room. Well, now is your chance. <laughs> There's, no one's going to see you at home. But, but I did want to, you know, maybe the Easter season is coming for you, and it's coming just kind of like any holiday. It's coming, and, you know, Easter comes, Easter goes, and then the next day, it's just kind of life is normal. And maybe you haven't taken that step to say, you know what, Jesus, I want to welcome welcome you into my life. I want to, I want to lay my heart down at your feet. I want to lay my coat down for you to walk in. I want to be part of your procession that is just cheering for you to take over my life. Maybe you haven't done that yet. And if that, if that is you, I would love to pray for you right now. And like I said, the great thing is if you're at home by yourself, or just with your family, you get to do this with your family. Not worry about anyone walk looking around or the nervousness that may come with, am I doing this in a public place? We get to pray right now together. And so what I'd like to do, if that's you, if you want to take today to say, you know what? I've never really taken that chance to welcome Jesus into my life. I've never really taken that step to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe you've come to church. Maybe you've joined us here and you've left thinking about it. And you're thinking today is the day that I really want to lay my life at Jesus. I want to celebrate his entry, not just into Jerusalem as we read about today, but his entry into my heart. I want to pray with you today. So if you would at home, just, just bow your heads and pray with me. You want to make this a part of your walk and your relationship today. God, we come before you today knowing that, that we are not perfect. God, that, that, that we mess up and that we mess up all the time. God, that, that, that we sin and, and we, we do things on our own and we do things apart from you. And ultimately, that's not your plan. That isn't your plan, God. And that you love us so much that because of our sin, you sent your son for us. Your perfect, wonderful son who was right, who was victorious, who is gentle, who is everything we could ever need to take the punishment for my sin, for our sin, God. We thank you that he came to die for us, that his blood on the cross washed away our sins and his resurrection showed us the path back to you. So God, we believe in Jesus. God, we, we welcome him into our hearts, into our life, and we submit ourselves to you, to your perfect will, to your glory, to your love, which is perfect in every way possible. So God, from this day forth, we live for you. We welcome you in. And it's not about us. It's all about what we can do through you and because of you and because you love us. God, we love you because you loved us. We welcome you into our heart to take control. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you prayed that today for the first time, welcome to the family. I'd love to talk to you on, on online social media. Please comment online or, or shoot us an email or a phone call. I'd love the chance to connect with you or reach out to someone that you know here at church so we can talk and celebrate with you. This Palm Sunday, though, as we prep for Easter, we're reminded Jesus was the Son of God. He was a Son of Man. He is absolutely perfect. He's everything you need. He's everything you could ever want. And he rode victoriously into life, and he rides victoriously into your heart. Amen.